The Insulone Podcast is brought to you by Cybionics, an emerging CGM brand that focuses on simplifying how individuals aged 18 and above monitor and control their blood sugar levels. Upon becoming available on the market, the Cybionics GS1 CGM has helped users worldwide navigate the complexities of diabetes management with more confidence and peace of mind. Thanks to Cybionics, now more people are able to view and share their real-time glucose data, receive customizable glucose alarms, and generate full AGP reports, all directly from an intuitive Cybionics app, empowering them with the necessary information to make better decisions about their health. Cybionics combines data accuracy and comfort of wear, which is important to us all, with a feature-rich app. The 14-day scanning-free and calibration-free Cybionics GS1 CGM aims to deliver reliable, seamless diabetes management experiences. For more, check out CybionicsCGM.com. This is the Insulone Podcast, where I, Owen Costello, try to redefine diabetes. In this week's episode, viewing your food as a form of medication, why live with type 1 diabetes is a great way to view it because your food is what has the biggest and most immediate impact on your blood sugar. That's just a fact. But before we get into that, everything you hear on the Insulone podcast is from my own personal experience. And if you have any worries or issues regarding your diabetes, please contact a medical professional. Now, let's get stuck into this episode. What's up, everybody? Graham, what's happening? Welcome to another episode of the Insulone Podcast. I always wonder why I say at the start of every every episode, welcome back to the Insulone Podcast, because it's quite clear what podcast you're listening to. But welcome. Always delighted to have you here and always delighted to be staring at Graham's face in the camera. Hey, what's up? How are you? Good. Speaking to the camera or the, the camera. I'm speaking to the camera. Oh. Speaking to the camera. I, I don't want to make this about me again. Um, Here we go. And I don't want this to become a habit because the last, this one in the last episode we recorded on uh, a Monday. So post weekend, I don't want to keep on talking about my nights out and stuff like that. But last night I went to see Garth Brooks. Oh, I knew you were going to say that. I went to see Garth Brooks in Crow Park. 80,000 Garth Brooks fans <laughs> with our cowboy hats on and our cowboy boots and our double and triple denim. And I just want to tell you, Owen Costello, and you listening right now, it was one of the greatest nights of my life. Yeah. Was it really? Oh my God. Say what you want about Garth Brooks, but my God, he can put on a show. So I was thinking. Uh, so I was there with some guy who works in television and he said that he was making a documentary about him. Well, he's, he's made it. It's out tomorrow night on, on television in Ireland. And he's saying that Garth, it's a large section of the population in America who doesn't like Garth Brooks. But over here, if you don't know, which you probably don't if you're listening around the world, he's a country music star that has sold out five nights in Crow Park, our biggest football stadium. Uh, 80,000 people. So 400,000 people across two weeks going to see Garth Brooks. That's what I couldn't believe. Like, it's mental. I, I've probably heard maybe one song of Garth Brooks over my lifetime, maybe more without realising. So, I've nothing really to say about him, but 
I just, I couldn't believe that he sold out five nights yeah. in Croke Park. I just, I'm just more surprised at the fact that so many people in Ireland love him. Because I wouldn't have thought that. I think, it's, so it's definitely, it's a, it's not a city thing. It's a lot of country people from the rural parts of Ireland. Um, but I also think there's a section of the population who are going to it because it's kind of like a cultural phenomenon in, in terms of everyone will remember when Garth Brooks came to Ireland and played five nights mm. and you want to be there. You want to kind of experience this uh, culture moment in Irish pop culture society. And I just feel like there's a lot of people there for that. But my God, that's the noise of the stadium. I know, I know a good few songs, but my God, people knew every word of every song. It was really? bonkers. And he, he's a stage, he's such a showman. He's got such stage presence. The stage was, it was the stage was the width of the pitch. It was just incredible. He was running back and forth. He's lost a serious amount of weight to get in shape for it. He's well in his 50s. He looks incredible. Um, actually, what is he? I'd say he's Do you know, it's funny that you mentioned it's more of a kind of rural Ireland phenomenon. But I was driving home from the north on yesterday. And as, as I was driving down the motorway, just van after van after van, bus after bus after bus, full of people going to Garth Brooks. And any, like if I, I, I stopped... I think actually only once for diesel on the way back to fill up the car. And there was about 15 vans just stopped off. And anybody that had been in the vans or were in the vans or whatever was wearing their blue jeans, yep. their brown boots. Yeah. Gotta love it. Gotta love it. He's 60. I just Googled and you should have seen him running back and forth on stage. <laughs> He's a credit. So there, that's my little bit of news anyway. That's my bit what of news. was better than that? <clears throat> or what what was better, Graham? The night we went to Annie Mac or that? That. Don't don't you dare say that. Because that, that night we went to Annie Mac. No, no. An no. Irish DJ. Forget is what you're gonna say. Notoriously our greatest night ever. Just just but great vibes, good friends. The night just kept on going. And that is always up there. And when we get the notifications on Facebook that, oh, it's a year, we always put it in the group. Oh, lads, oh, yeah, eight years now. Sorry, that's now number two. No. Garth Brooks, friends in low places. Woo, straight to the top. Straight I've to the top. I've said it before, but if anybody is interested in being the producer of this podcast, please reach out because Graham's getting the boot. Well, that's perfect. I'll get a cowboy boot. Because <laughs> I want to go and follow Garth Brooks around the world. So I need someone maybe to... <laughs> To cover me. Right, we're going to do a few quick fire questions from Instagram today. Owen, I have a couple here in front of me. Are you ready to answer them? Yes, depending on what they are. Let's okay. go. Uh, question number one. <laughs> what is your favourite Garth Brooks song? Uh, friends in low places. Because <laughs> you've just said it. If quick you fire. Me, like if you would have asked me that less than 60 seconds ago, I wouldn't know the, the name of any. Okay. Serious question number one. Owen, what is your insulin to carb ratio? Good question. Good question. That's it. Okay. That's it. Um, so my insulin to carb ratio, like a lot of other people's, will change as the day goes on. So generally speaking, earlier in the day, particularly earlier in the morning, your insulin resistance is higher as a result of cortisol, adrenaline, dawn phenomenon, foot to floor. We've gone through it plenty of times in this podcast. So... 
I require more insulin in the morning than I do at night. So at the start of the day, my insulin to carb ratio is one unit of insulin per 20 grams of carbs. And then later on in the day, it will steadily increase to one unit of insulin to 30 grams of carbohydrate. Also, while I'm here, while I'm on the topic, I take Nova Rapid Fast Acting Insulin and I take Lantus Long Lasting, which is 12 units in at 10 a.m., 12 units, 10 p.m. Do you have a choice in what insulin you take in terms of the brand and all that kind of stuff? Or do you just get given it here in Ireland? Um, it can kind of depend. Like, that's what I was given. They're the two insulins that I've been on since I was diagnosed. Um, I was at an appointment a number of years ago and they wanted me to change onto a different long lasting, but I said, why? And then we decided that I wasn't going to change my long lasting. Like, so I don't know. On, yeah. <laughs> so so I just, Do you know what you're stayed right? on Lantus and Nova Rapid for 10 plus years. Okay. Question number two, like you say, there are 180 to 320 additional decisions we make a day. How many diabetic decisions do you make a day? Oh, great question. And this actually kind of ties into something that I was talking about briefly on my um, type 1% group chat today about ultimately what is the goal with diabetes. And ultimately, in my opinion, the goal with type 1 diabetes is to have your management as automatic as possible. And when our management is as automatic as possible, then we get time and energy and stress away from our diabetes because we're not thinking about it as much. So yes, of course, on average, I think a type one diabetic, much like the question, makes an additional 180 to 320 decisions per day. So that would be food, insulin, exercise, stress, hormones, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. All these things we need to be aware of but when you are so confident and you are so comfortable in your insulin ratios, how exercise affects you, how stress affects you, how your ratios change during the day, when these things are all just ingrained in your head, then essentially you're making those decisions without even realizing. So I probably make, I probably make two to 300 decisions around my blood sugar every day. But I barely even feel like I'm making them. I'm barely even aware of the fact that I'm making them just because it's so automatic. So I will automatically make adjustments to ratios, add on a unit, take on a unit here or there, plan in advance for exercise habitually, just without realizing. And that is always my goal. And that is always my goal for anybody that I work with too. Next question, not diabetes related, but what's your biggest interest outside of fitness? Oh. Hmm. My three, I feel like I don't have time to have other interests these days, which probably isn't a good thing. Um, my three biggest in the past have been skateboarding, football and art so i used to be obsessed with skateboarding 
like obsessed for years and I used to skateboard for hours every day. Football was equally as obsessed. I was convinced I was going to be a professional footballer. That obviously didn't work out. And then obviously art. I did animation in college um, before getting into fitness. Currently, are we putting interests and hobbies in the same bracket here? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, definitely. Um, is podcasting and growing a business? No, 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 no. This is, I, I, this, is, this is diabetes related. Get out yeah. of here. Um, in a, I suppose a sad answer is I actually don't really have much time to have other hobbies right now, which I'm working on. <laughs> You're interested in the TV show Ultimate Hell Week. Oh, yeah. yeah well, that's still kind of related to fitness, though. Uh, yeah, I would say that's more psychological. But I understand yeah, I suppose, like, one of my main interests, and I suppose even being diagnosed with diabetes has been the kind, the main catalyst for that interest, is just, like, mindset and how you think mm-hmm. about things. Um yeah, I suppose mindset and how you manage things in your own head, yada, 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 these kind of things. It's what we it. talk about on the pod- podcast all the time, which again is related to diabetes. If anyone doesn't know, that, t- that TV show that Owen and I are obsessed with is uh, where normal people, well, in this case, they're kind of celebrities, inverted commas, uh, mm-hmm. go and do army training, but like army ranger training, special forces training. And it is intense and it gets inside your head. Uh, Let's go on to question number four. Before we get into question number four, Graham, I'm convinced that you're going to be on that show next year. Well, this is how how little I am uh, viewed upon in the Irish celebrity scene. Now, I don't consider myself a celebrity anyway, even though they call this the celebrity version. They call it the professionals, actually. So they have... They kind of cover themselves in that way. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, because they were, well, they're not celebrities, no celebrities <laughs> in Ireland. Yeah. So so they do like f- media people. There are radio presenters in there. So if you don't know, I'm also a radio presenter. And I messaged my agent last year and I go, I am obsessed with this TV show. Mm-hmm. I've heard that they struggle to get people because the pool is so small in Ireland. I go, can you put me forward for it next year? And she's like, I'll have a word at the TV production company. She sent a message. And they were like, oh, we don't know if we're going to go into production next year, but we'll definitely keep his name on file. Fast forward 10 months, I see the press <laughs> yeah. releases coming out of no the, new, the new professionals. So that's how I'm viewed. Do you know But I, I honestly was thinking this, all right? So I was watching it. And I was like, God, that, it's, it's very difficult. So what happens is, say there's about 20 people put in and you see how far you can go until you have to either voluntary withdrawal or, mm. um, or the the Rangers kick you out because yeah, it's like physical and psychological challenges that essentially try and force you to quit basically. And no word of a lie. Every time I watch it, every episode, because it's happening now in Ireland, I'm also watching the English version as well on channel four. Every time I watch it, I put myself within the show. So I'm like, okay, how would I deal with that? And I was like, if I ever withdrew, I knew everyone in my life, like Graham, well done for going on it. You came across great, except for one person. Owen Costello. Like, <laughs> you quit? You quit? What are you talking about, you soft boy? I was like, Owen, yeah. they they gagged me, tied my hands together and put me underwater. So? So? 
I'd be like, I honestly would be in there thinking, Owen is watching this right now and he's <laughs> going to kill me if I quit. <laughs> no word of a lie. That's what I'd be thinking when I watch it. I would probably go further just because I have Owen in my head. <laughs> That's how much impact influence you have on me, Owen. That's good. What can I say? Or kind of how do you, how do you? Uh, by the way, that's absolutely true. If you did quit, I'd, I'd murder you. Brennan, I couldn't. I honestly, how do you I feel you would get on? Um, I think psychologically, I would do well. Um, where I would struggle is with with water and the cold. Mm. That's why, because I'm not a strong swimmer. But my fear in the water is actually drowning, not swimming. And they always have the buoyancy aids on them. So that would, that would help so me you're out so much. Like you're never, never going to drown no, in a show no. like that. So that would, psychologically, that would help me in terms of getting me over my fear of actually drowning because I, they're not going to let me drown. Um, and where I could fall down is, like I'm obviously physically fit and I go to the gym, but there's former Irish rugby players on there, like there's big lads mm. on there. So I know when it comes to the end and they're, they're hauling like bloody tree trunks and stuff like that on their shoulders and they're working as a team. I'm like, Oof. I think mm. mentally I could do it, but maybe physically near the end, it could get me. Um, but I'd, I'd, get on, to, I'd, get, I'd uh, get on to you, though, beforehand. I would get you to train me for a month beforehand. A pep talk. <laughs> no, I, I'd actually get you to train, bring me to the mountains and like literally scream at me like I was in it. <laughs> and I know you'd do it as well. I know, I know you'd get it. such satisfaction. Out I, know. <laughs> I was having this conversation with my dad after the... So the first episode was last week, I think, wasn't it? Yeah. So I was having this conversation with my dad and I was like, See, if you got, and he was like, what, what's your chance? What would your chances be of getting on that? And I was like, well, if it was a diabetic ultimate hell week, I'd probably, well, hopefully. But there's a fitness on. influencer on it. That girl, that Rebecca girl, she's a fitness influencer. You're mm. a fitness influencer. Nah, well, not really like, but anyway. <laughs> so <clears throat> I was saying, if you were on, all you have to do to win it is just not quit. Yeah. That's all you have to do. And he was like, yeah, well, duh, 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 duh. And all this we're, we're getting into getting into talking about it and saying like, well, that's it. You literally just don't have to quit. You're not going to die. Mm. Like, of course, you're not going to die. So you just don't have to quit. And then I was saying, and I think me and you have had this conversation before and I know we're slightly going off topic here from diabetes questions. But I was saying I'd love to do it without the cameras. Yes, you said because that. Because that sort of challenge, like, I'd, I'd, I would just, I would love to do that show. I would love it. But doing it with cameras is just that extra incentive for you to perform. And for me, that's like, oh, well, would you, would you still do it if you weren't on TV in front of your friends and your family? Absolutely you know I mean? not. And that's, I think if you were to do that without the cameras, that would be amazing. You could join the army. Yeah, that's also true, but I've no interest really in doing that. <laughs> it's, like, it's like when I said to my friend, who's like, he'd be intelligent <laughs> enough. And I was like, oh, I'd love to just like, you know, learn loads about history and, you know, but like get someone to teach me and uh, like read loads of books and like, but like, I wouldn't, I don't have to do all the exams and stuff like that. And John goes, yeah, it's called a library. <laughs> yeah. Go <Exactly>. read. <laughs> See, I'd love to do that kind of thing, but I don't want to change what I do for work. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Right. Let's go on. Next year, next year we'll be on it. Um, 
If you had to pick one aspect of diabetes to focus on, what makes the biggest difference to your levels? That's a great question. Oh, um, this is kind of contradictory to what I constantly go on about to all my clients. And I've said it a million times before on the podcast. When it comes to you managing your diabetes, there is no silver bullet. There's no magic pill. There's no one thing you have to do. It's always, always, always consistency with small things brought together for example if you carb count and don't pre-bolus they kind of interfere with themselves if you exercise but eat crappy food all the time it's like well they're kind of canceling themselves out so it will always be an accumulation of the small things brought together right but if i was to pick one thing it would probably be the food that you eat, the food that I eat. And what I mean by that is like the type of food that I eat and then also the timing of food. As in, like if I eat a Chinese 30 minutes before I go to bed, that's going to be a very different overnight blood sugar experience compared to if I eat, I don't know, a tuna salad two hours before I go to bed. So it would it would be using the type of food that I eat as another form of medication. And I've actually put up a, a few posts on Instagram about like viewing your food as a form of medication while you live with type 1 diabetes is a great way to view it because your food is what has the biggest and most immediate impact on your blood sugar. That's just a fact. So yeah, one thing would be Managing what I put into my mouth, essentially. Yeah. Next up, what do you find the hardest part of diabetes? Ooh. Another good question. Um, probably just because it's a constant. And it's and again, I've gone through this a hundred times before on the podcast, but it's it diabetes is easy to manage when like you're in a good headspace you've good momentum you're in routine things seem to be falling into place nicely but it's more difficult to manage but it's also just as much there when things aren't going to plan for example yeah. like you could get sick in another way you could break your leg you could lose your job somebody in your family could die whatever all of these terrible things that can happen to you in your life your diabetes is still going to be there and even when you have an off day or an off week or you're super stressed or incredibly busy with work you still have to manage your diabetes and oftentimes it's during those times that it comes back to bite you the most because you're not even able to give it any sort of time or attention like for example if you're super stressed and you're up the walls about something the last thing in the world you want to do is carb count and pre-bolus but if you don't carb count to pre-bolus a big high blood sugar is going to come back and bite you which is going to add more stress and frustration to your day so i suppose the most difficult side of it is still being switched on to it during times that you want to turn it off basically 
And let's finish on this one because these have been some great questions this week. Uh, final one, let's go for this. What's your funniest diabetic moment? <laughs> um, <laughs> there's one that I'm thinking of that I can't talk about in the podcast for I sure. As well. <laughs> does um, it involve a bus? It does. <laughs> it does. <laughs> um, nothing illegal or anything, by the way, just for for people to know. Um, but but uh, me and Graham have a funny diabetic bus story. But anyway, maybe I actually think the the podcast would probably get taken down if you said it. it probably would, wouldn't it? By anyway. who though? I don't know. The podcast <laughs> overlords. <laughs> anyway, the the second one that come, <laughs> comes to mind. So that's the first thing I thought. Of. <laughs> we were only talking about that last week. Yeah. Um, second one that comes to mind was a night nighttime hypo that I had, and I actually think. I told this story on the podcast, but so as we all know, if you wake up in the middle of the night with a hypo, that's a, a hypo that hits you just a completely different way. You're you, you're just craving food, and you feel as if you're you're melting into your bed until you get glucose to bring you up. But even during my lowest moments with hypos, I mean blood sugar lows, um, I'm. I always have that voice in my head that's like, don't overtreat it. Don't completely go overboard because you're only going to regret it. Now, as I always say, the absolute priority when you go low is to get your bloods back up. But my second priority is always don't go overboard because inevitably you will see a massive rebound high. So a hypo, I think it was a few months ago, I had a hypo. In the middle of the night, I woke up and I went downstairs and I think I'd eaten a few glucose tablets and I was eating an apple and it was, it was like 4 a.m. in the morning. So it was obviously dark outside. And I remember standing in my kitchen, looking at the kitchen window and because it was dark and the lights were on, the window essentially kind of looked like a mirror because obviously it was dark outside. So I was looking at myself and I was standing in my boxers and I was eating this ha- apple waiting for my blood sugar to come back up. And I was physically pointing at myself saying, only eat this apple and eat nothing else. Because if you do, you're going to go to bed and you're going to wake up. (laughs) You're going to wake up really, really high and you're going to be fuming. So I I distinctly remember (laughs) saying to myself out loud, don't eat more than this apple and basically i ate the apple and turned off the lights walked out of the kitchen and as i was closing the door from the other side i closed the door didn't take my hand off the handle paused and then just went back in and absolutely absolutely destroyed the kitchen and i went up to like 20 or something the next morning oh no Um, but it, it it doesn't even sound that funny. But I just remember vividly looking myself in the eye saying, do not overtreat this hypo because you're going to be fuming. And uh, but the fact that you said it out loud as well, like in a matter of that. I suppose that. Yeah, that, I suppose yeah. that's my funniest moment. There we go. That's six nice questions coming from Instagram. Thank you very much. If you follow Owen and you have contributed to those question boxes, uh, Owen puts them up 
every couple of weeks. So don't fret. We could get to your question at some at some stage. And if you want a longer question that doesn't fit into a question box in Instagram or just a general story, we always say it at the end of every podcast. The Insel Owen Podcast at gmail.com is where you can get it. If you want the spelling, you can go into the description down below in the uh, wherever you're listening to this podcast. Owen, thank you. Thank you, Graham. Couldn't have said it better myself. Please, if you have a story or a question, don't hesitate to reach out. We love getting them and we appreciate you listening to the podcast. I hope you get the value that you are looking for every week and every episode because that's the purpose of the podcast. So until next week, have a good day, have a good week, look after your blood sugars, and we will speak to you soon. Take it easy. Bye.